from the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. Welcome to Folklife Today. I'm John Fenn, the head of research and programs at the American Folklife Center, and I'm here with Steve Winnick, a folklife specialist at the center and the creator of the Folklife Today blog. Hi, everyone. We have kind of an unusual episode for December. Every year in the week or two before Christmas, staff members of the American Folklife Center put our research and performance skills into play, bringing collections to life in a dramatic performance that tours the halls of the Library of Congress. The performance is based on traditional mummers plays. And this year, since we can't actually perform our mummers play live, we decided to do it as a podcast episode, sort of like an old-time radio play. We did all the recording remotely over the web, so sound quality varies. Right, but we don't want to throw our audience in at the deep end, so we're going to say a little bit about the tradition first. And for that, we're joined by Jennifer Cutting, another folklife specialist at the American Folklife Center. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, John. Hi, Steve. Hi, everybody out there. So, Jennifer, what are mummers plays? Well, mumming is an old word for a tradition of getting dressed up in costumes and going from house to house doing a performance in exchange for food, drink, sometimes money. In various forms, it goes back to the Middle Ages all over Europe. And in Britain, sometime in the 17th century, probably, it took the form of a a particular kind of play, which includes music and dance and rhymes. And in the play, several characters get in a fight. One or more are killed, and then a doctor arrives and revives the dead characters. Sometimes it's called a death and resurrection play. Okay, so who are these characters? In traditional mummers plays, the main hero among the fighting characters is usually a saint. So St. George or St. Patrick are some of the most popular. The other fighting characters are sometimes represented as foreign knights from the Crusades, as military antagonists of later historical times, and then as pirates or sailors sometimes. And some mummers plays draw on the legend of St. George and the dragon and have a dragon in the play. And then there are various monsters like Beelzebub and, of course, Father Christmas is in the Mummer's play as well. And sometimes historical characters end up in there. In the early 19th century, for example, the Philadelphia Mummer's play included George Washington, and we're continuing that tradition in our play this year. And speaking of George Washington, I should mention that some of the male characters in our play are portrayed by female actors, and cross-dressing was a feature of the traditional mummers' play as well. So Philadelphia had an important mumming tradition, but where else was mumming done? Well, this play spread to most places where English was spoken. England, Ireland, and Scotland certainly, but also the West Indies, Australia, North America. It was most widespread in the 19th century, and then in most places it became less common, but you can still find it here and there. Newfoundland, for example, has a really strong mumming tradition. How did the AFC staff get started in mumming? Well, in the early 2000s, we added a couple of staff members with interest in mumming, including me, and it kind of tipped the balance because there were already many staff members who knew the tradition. 
At the University of Pennsylvania, where I went to graduate school, we had a mummer's tradition, and I was in that play for several years. And when I arrived at AFC in 2005, there were three other staff members who had acted in those University of Pennsylvania plays. So that was one factor. And Jennifer was another staff member with her own approach to mumming. That's right, because I had seen mumming and was aware of it from my studies of British folk traditions and my time in England in graduate school. And I took part in those days in Morris dancing and music, which often attract the same people who do mummers plays and sometimes has some of the same characters. So I had a lot of exposure to that tradition. But I think my deepest involvement was as curator of the American Folklife Center's James Madison Carpenter Collection. Carpenter was an American folklorist who collected in Britain in the 1930s. And he wasn't there to collect during the Christmas holidays, so there aren't recordings of the plays themselves happening at Christmas. But he did make cylinder recordings of a few of the songs And even more importantly, he collected written play scripts. And there was also an artist named George Baker, whose father was one of the mummers in his community. And George Baker drew pictures of many of the mummer characters for Carpenter. And those pictures are fantastic as well. So I actually compiled our first play in 2009 out of mummers play scripts that were in the Carpenter collection. After that, we just kept doing it. I took over most of the writing of the plays and updated the humor quite a bit. And at first, we did it only at private events for library staff, so office parties, really. And we put in a lot of library inside jokes. But today's play won't be full of library jokes, right? Well, you'll hear a little of that in this play, but not much. And I know there are some historical references, too. Uh, How did that come about? It's always a challenge to create a new play within such a strict format. Some people use pop culture figures, so you can find Kirk and Spock mummers plays out there and that kind of thing. People also put in contemporary references, but we wanted to be gentle with references to 2020 because both the pandemic and politics are just making people so anxious right now. We do reference everyone using Zoom meetings a lot, so that was one thing that we put in from 2020. But um, at the Library of Congress, we do have a keen sense of history, and we admire some things about several of our early American presidents who helped set up the Library of Congress, especially Jefferson, Adams, and Madison, after whom our three buildings on Capitol Hill are named. So we decided to go with some silly adaptations of history. So I based this play on the transition between the Adams and Jefferson presidencies in 1800, and used a series of letters between Abigail Adams and Thomas Jefferson as source material. That sounds great. We've put an annotated version of the play and more about the history of mumming at the Folklife Today blog, which you can find at blogs.loc.gov folklife. And in fact, this is an historical costume drama, so you can also see pictures of the costumes at the blog. You know, one of the fun treasures we have in the American Folklife Center is the first recording of Alistair Cook's voice. So I'll channel his great masterpiece theater introductions here. Good evening, and welcome to Mummer Peace Theater. Tonight, we have a very special production. It features three American presidents, two first ladies, Father Christmas, and assorted elves and monsters. It's an adaptation of traditional Mummer's plays and stars members of the staff of the Library of Congress, our oldest federal cultural institution. 
The adaptation is by Stephen Winnick, and the accordion music is by Jennifer Cutting. So without further ado, we present The Peaceful Transfer of Mumming. The master and mistress sitting down at their ease Put their hands in their pockets and give what they please To our Zoom room! Gentles all, pray give us a zoom room to rhyme We've come to show activity this merry Christmas time Activity of youth, activity of age. Such activity has never been before upon the loc.gov slash podcasts page. In comes I, old Father Christmas, and be I welcome or welcome not. Welcome! I hope old Father Christmas will never be forgot. My beard is long, my back is bent, my knees are weak, my strength is spent. Two thousand years and twenty is a very great age for me, and if I'd been quarantined all these years, ha, what a recluse I would be. But speaking of quarantine, I should say our hearts go out this winter's day to all who have lost friends, lost work, or gotten sick. We hope the world's recovery will be merciful and quick. We urge you to be safe, to hunker down and persevere, and we hope we'll all be vaccinated sometime within the year. Up at the North Pole, all is well. There really isn't much to tell. Father Christmas, Linear Feet, and Old Beelzebub are all still members of our little North Pole Club. And no guests or new arrivals have showed up since last year, and so we have no virus yet to bother us up here. But it makes for a dull Christmas for us, I confess, because we're used to having so many distinguished guests. In fact, I've told you about U.S. presidents coming here, but did you know we once had three in the same year? It was December 1800, and I remember one fine day, our good friend Thomas Jefferson appeared on his five-dog open sleigh. In comes I, Thomas Jefferson. I was up here just last year. I came in search of ice for ice cream, and I found these good folks here. I thought I'd come to call again, since it is Christmas time, to harvest ice and visit with these North Pole chums of mine. Hello, Jefferson. Nice to see you. It's old Beelzebub. I guess you recognize me by this awesome caveman club. My big and curly ram's horns are also very cute especially combined with my woolly demon suit. So, what's the news? When we last saw you heading to the USA, you said there was an election, and you were keen to join the fray. There was. I won. I'm finally the president-elect. In March, my new position is set to take effect. The peaceful transition of power is our most cherished tradition. It goes back almost... Four whole years to our very first transition, when President Washington decided that he would no longer run, John Adams and I ran for president, and that loser, Adams, won. I became vice president, and this year I ran once more. Now Adams is our first one-term president, and I'm showing him the door. 
It's good to see you, Jefferson. I'm glad you came back this way. <coughs> But what's this? Linear Feet, my library elf, has something she wants to say. That's right. With my sharp elf ears, I happen to hear that another dog sled's drawing near. Jefferson? Jefferson! Good God, it's President John Adams. He was following my sleigh. Ah, there you are. Let's get to work. We don't have all day. I'm president-elect. I'm not your flunky anymore. I'm tired of listening to you. Because you know what? You're a bore. Besides, in your campaign you slandered me. And that was very rude. You said if they elected me, the people would be screwed. That murder, robbery, and incest would openly be taught. <gasps> yes, that was good campaigning. Or so my advisors thought. But you're not so innocent, Jefferson. I know your little game. You hired that low-life pamphleteer to tarnish my good name. A hideous, hermaphroditical character. He called me that in print. <laughs> And other names that were so bad, they made my poor wife squint. Ah, yes. The lovely Abigail. I hope she's doing fine. I know she's very fond of books, and she's welcome to borrow mine. In fact, this little piece of news might give her a surprise. She thinks you have a big library, but mine is twice the size. Now that's enough. I don't mind you stealing the election, but I can't have you insulting the size of my collection. Your scurrilous campaign ads were offensive, mean, and cruel. And so, you worthless scoundrel, I challenge you to a duel. Pull out your purse and pay, sir. Pull out your sword and play, sir. Well, here's a situation for which we have no precedent. The president-elect's been killed by the sitting president. Ha! Now that Jefferson is gone... I'll keep this presidency thing. I mean, let's face it, it was more stable back when we colonies had a king. No, 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 this won't do. Power's not his for the taking. I wonder who can free the U.S. from this tyrant in the making. I know who we can call. The man to save the day. St. George, the standard hero of the standard mama's play. St. George! St. George! In comes I, St. George, Washington. And over my shoulder I carry a gun, on my head a tricorn hat. What do you people think of that? In the War of Independence I blew the redcoats down. I defeated old King George, and I broke his fabled crown. My countrymen made me president, and I served as best I knew. And when my time was over, I turned over power to you. George Washington? No fair. You're dead. No, I ain't. I went up to heaven, and I've come back as a saint. Well, you're a tedious old has-been. 
and your time has come and gone. I kind of like the presidency, so I'll keep it from now on. I can't let you do that. My principles won't allow it. If you remain, I'll come back as a ghost to disavow it. Our citizens will heed my words and force your abrogation. After all, they still consider me the father of the nation. In that case, I have no choice. I challenge you to fight. And when I win a second duel, that will prove I'm in the right. Real men despise battle, but will never run from it. So let me take my sword in hand and remove my trusty gun from it. Ready? Good. Mind your eyes and guard your blows, or I will stab thee through the nose. Alas, George Washington's dead again, and on the ground is laid. Who knew that old John Adams was such a badass with a blade? Now that he's killed two presidents, the homicide is double. We'll have to think of something, or America's in trouble. Yes, he's murdered Washington, who led the revolution, and Jefferson's been killed as well, which spoiled his constitution. But here at the North Pole, we have an excellent health care plan. America ought to have one, Adams. Anybody can. Observe, I only have to call, and a doctor will arrive, and, with any luck at all, bring these two back alive. Is there a doctor to be found to cure his deep and deadly... wound? Wound! In comes I. My name is Dolly Madison. You're not a doctor. I am while this hat is on. Hmm. How came you to be a doctor? <laughs> I'm the hostess with the mostess, the queen of the founding mothers, and someday I'll be first lady if I really get my druthers. But like poor Thomas, I'm into ice cream. And in fact, I have to say... I think ice cream could be a million-dollar business some fine day. So I snuck up here to harvest ice and found, to my surprise, that North Pole women are allowed to go to med school with the guys. So I sent James a letter that I'd be gone a year or two, and I earned my own MD degree from good old North Pole U. North Pole University? That's not a real school. Women can't be doctors. Do you think that I'm a fool? Well, yes. I, I mean, it, it is almost the 19th century. These conventions are outdated. Besides, I've worked with thousands of male doctors, and most of them are overrated. Women doctors are the future. Of that we can be sure. So tell us, Dr. Madison, what diseases can you cure? I can cure catalepsy, dogalepsy, elephantiasis of the hippocampus, rhinovirus, horse fever, and abduction by the Krampus. Also, P1 flat tires, VPN wheezes, continuing resolution freezes, and all other librarious diseases. Yes, but you can't cure a man who's been dead for five minutes. <sighs> if he's been dead five years, I can cure him. Will you join me on my rounds? Very well. <laughs> They're just walking around the bodies. 
call it Grand Round. Definitely dead. Mm, and what can you do for him? Hmm. I have medicinal cakes called chocolate zingers. Let's rub icing on his fingers and see if his condition lingers. It's not working. <laughs> all right, all right. I'll have another go. Let's see. Hmm. Cuckoos and googles and razzies won't work in these cases, I've found. They're secretly the same thing as zingers, except for the fact that they're round. But this is a vial of Ridge's food dissolved in cheap champagne. It's the best of all folk medicines for them as has been slain. Just a bit from my bottle, applied to his throttle. More! He's moving! He's getting up! Well, that was a strange dream. But I guess the night is done. Whether I retire early or late, I rise with the sun. But what about St. George Washington, Doctor? Will you fix him next? <laughs> I've been told that no one can fix Washington. But I'll do my best. Hmm. Here, St. George. Have a drink from my nip-nap. <coughs> Look! He's getting up, too! Death is the abyss from where no traveler can return. Or that's what I thought this time last year, but there's always more to learn. That's Washington, all right. A platitude for every occasion. I killed the man with a saber, and now not even an abrasion. I can't believe he killed me. I can't believe he killed me. I'll teach you two to play possum. I'll carve you to the heart. Grab them, quick. Hold them fast. Keep them all apart. Where's my sword? Why, you? Hold it, hold it. This won't do. When we let them go, they'll just bite again. There must be someone abnormal to control these crazy men. I hear someone coming. I hear trouble brewing. What in God's name do you fools think you're doing? Abigail? Uh, oh, uh, uh, hello, darling. How did you get up here? I stowed away in your stupid sleigh between the salt pork and the beer. And now I find you've been killing the other founding fathers? Explain yourself at once. If it isn't too much bother. I, uh, well, well, dearest Abigail, I know it was unwise, but Jefferson started it by boasting about his library's impressive size. <laughs> Men, I'll tell you a secret that all women know. 
but every man overlooks. It's not the size of the library that counts, but what you learn from hitting the books. But 6,487 volumes is impressive, is it not? And I did learn some clever things by reading quite a lot. For example, pride costs us more than hunger, thirst, and cold. And I learned how to win an election, as I'm sure you've been told. Oh, stop your preening, Thomas. I thought you were my friend. But your vile slander during the campaign has brought that to an end. Your foulest falsehoods taught me a lesson that needed to be learned. You're a base calumniator, as far as I'm concerned. Sorry, Abigail. And you, George, what have you got to say for yourself? I cannot tell a lie. My answer is a sad one. It is better to offer no excuse than a bad one. Well, at least one of you got one thing right. There's no excuse for this. If women could vote, we'd vote you fools down into the abyss. So listen up. Here's what we'll do. We'll stay here till the new year comes, and then we'll go our separate ways and pretend we're all still chums. John and I will go to Boston, George to Paradise, Thomas can go to Washington with a ton or two of ice. We'll never speak of these duels again, whatever should occur, so the world will never know how dumb the Founding Fathers were. That's my firm decision. That's all I have to say. Now, John, get me some stiff eggnog, because it has been a day. Yes, dear. Abigail Adams, we humbly thank you for ending this dissension. And now let's have some music. I think that might break the tension. My name is Linnea Feet, as we have said before. I'm a library elf of great requests, and I'll leave you wanting more. With my brain so big and my hands so small, I'll call you a tune to please you all. Muddy boots and dirty faces, now all you dancers take your places. So that's the story of the three presidents and how they came to visit, and the awkwardness of that Christmas party was something quite exquisite. The president's visit to the North Pole is now known to but a few, for the bitter memories faded, as such memories tend to do. And after New Year's, sure enough, they went their separate ways and eventually became friends again towards their final days. And so may it be for us as well, as the years go by, let our friends be many, and our enemies few, and our happiness multiply. Wassail, wassail, all over the town, our toast is...
look and to his right eye may god send our master a good christmas pie a good christmas pie that we may all see with a wassailing bowl we'll drink to thee wassail wassail all over the town our toast is white and our railing is brown our bowl it is made of the white And to her broad horn, may God send our master a good crop of corn, a good crop of corn that we may all see. With a wassailing bowl, we'll drink to thee. Wassail, wassail, all over the town. Our toast is white and our railing is brown. Our bowling is made of the white maple tree. With a wassailing bowl, we'll drink to thee. Now here's to the calf and to her right ear. May God send our master a happy new year. A happy new year that we may all see. With a wassailing bowl, we'll drink to thee. Wassail, wassail, all over the town. Our toast is white and our railing is brown. Our bowling is made of the white maple tree. With a wassailing bowl, we'll drink to thee. Now here's to the last in the lily white smock. Who tripped to the door and who slipped back the lock? Who tripped to the door and pulled back the pin? For to let all us jolly wassailers in. Wassail, wassail, all over the town. Our toast is white and our railing is brown. Our bowling is made of the white maple tree. With a wassailing bowl, we'll drink. The Folklife Today podcast is a production of the American Folklife Center. The Peaceful Transfer of Mumming starred Stephen Winnick as Father Christmas, Stephanie Hall as Beelzebub, Valda Morris as Linear Feet, Michelle Stefano as Thomas Jefferson, George Theroni as John Adams, Hope O'Keefe as George Washington, Thea Austin as Dr. Dolly Madison, and Jennifer Cutting as Abigail Adams. Jennifer also provided the accordion tunes. We want to thank our engineer John Gold and staff throughout the Library of Congress who help us deploy this podcast. Finally, thanks to contributors at freesound.org for the Foley effects we used. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next year. This has been a presentation of the Library of Congress. Visit us at loc.gov.